Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? Oh, it's, it's, it's almost spring. And of course, we've been preaching uh, a series uh, this winter called The Winter of Our Contentedness. And I was informed by a certain someone who will remain nameless that I cannot call it that next week because it will be spring by then. Um, so next week we will be having the spring of our contentedness as we finish up our sermon series next week. But today it's not spring yet, so we can still uh, call it that. Psalm 66, 16 says, Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. And last week, I asked you to ponder a question. If you were here last week, you heard this question. What is your evidence for God? Or in other words, what is your testimony? If somebody asks you, what's your evidence for God? Why do you believe in God? Why do you hope in Jesus Christ? Do we have an answer? And a testimony is a telling of what has happened. That's all a testimony is. In court, if, if you've ever given testimony or watched somebody give testimony, people give testimonies about the things that they have witnessed. And sometimes we will see experts give testimony about a piece of evidence that was found at a scene or something else where uh, an expert testimony is required. And as Christians, we are called to be expert witnesses. Just before Jesus ascended into heaven, 40 days after his resurrection, he told the 120 people who were gathered around him, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. You will testify about the things that you have seen me do and the things that I have said. And you will do this in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. Ju Jerusalem is where they were right then and Samaria was the surrounding area around Jerusalem but Jesus said you're not gonna stop there you're gonna go to the end of the earth but there's one interesting thing that he says here too you're gonna go to Samaria Samaria was an area and a people who were hated by the Jews and we read about the Samaritans um, in the Gospels, but they were not people that Jews would normally go to talk to because they believed slightly different things about God. They believed slightly different things about where the temple was supposed to be, right? They had these, these little differences, but they were hated by the Jews, and the Samaritans hated the Jews back. We're called to go to those people who we are, a lot of times we have an emotion of hate, even though we're supposed to love our neighbors, right? Sometimes there are people that we just don't like. And we're called to go to them too. And we can read in chapter 2 of, of uh, Acts, after Jesus says this to his people, that the Holy Spirit did descend on the 120, and they started speaking in other languages. We think, we, we talk about speaking in tongues, and a lot of people uh, who may have experienced like Pentecostal and charismatic churches, we, we sometimes get a really weird idea of what speaking in tongues is. In this passage, they're speaking in other languages, and they're speaking in the languages of all the people 
who have gathered in Jerusalem for Pentecost. And they start talking about Jesus in these strange to them languages. But they're able to connect with the other people in that city who speak that language. And the people that speak the language, they're able to understand who this Jesus is and what he has done. And they tell these people about Jesus Christ. And I don't know if you've ever noticed, but God often puts people into our lives who speak our language. You ever notice that? You meet somebody and like you, you boom, right away you get along with them. My friend uh, Bob, he is, a, a, <laughs> he is an Irishman. And of course, St. Patrick's Day is a big deal to him. And he had um, a brunch yesterday and he invited, invited a bunch of friends over. I know none of his friends. I know him, I know his wife, and I know his dogs. That's it. But two minutes after I arrived and said hi to everybody, I started talking to someone who also happened to be a teacher. And you guys know that I teach high school. And not only that, but she teaches personal finance to adults. I teach personal finance to high schoolers. We spoke each other's language. We know, we just, boom, we, we literally spent an hour talking to each other. And of course, her husband is like just standing behind her. Yep. <laughs> yep. She started talking about movies, and we, we, we like a lot of the same movies. And she kept saying this. She kept saying, you like that movie. And he's like... <laughs> He didn't like that movie. He liked that she liked that movie. He watched the movie for her. But we spoke each other's language. We have these similarities. We can, we can start getting to know people, even strangers. And they become friends to us right away. And we're able to share our faith with those people. But all too often, Christians forget that we were once sinners. All too often, we forget that we are like the people that we encounter in the world. Before we met Jesus Christ, before we came to faith, we were these people, and we need to remember that. We need to remember where we ourselves came from. We need to remember our story so that we can tell it to others. To be able to tell them where we came from and where Jesus has taken us to. Titus 3, 3 through 7 says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Church, this is where we were. And if you're honest with yourself, if you think back through your life before you met Jesus... You were following your own passions. You were following your own pleasures. You probably hated a lot of people, and a lot of people probably hated you too. This is where we were. And guess what? In that condition, we had no human right to have any kind of relationship with God. We had turned our backs on God. We had said no to Him. But... When the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, 
He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that we, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. God saved us according to his mercy. It's not anything that we did. It's not anything that we deserved. He did it because he's good. He did it because he's loving. And it doesn't matter if we started going to church on the day after we were born. We could be in church all of our lives. We still need God's mercy to save us. It doesn't matter if we were slaves to many passions and pleasures, sex and drugs and alcohol and greed and pride and hate for hate's sake. It doesn't matter because God wants even those people. God's love and his goodness and his kindness extend to everyone. God wants those people to repent. He wants them to turn away from these earthly passions and return to him. And through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God gave us a way back. He gave us the only way back to God the Father. And once we've found our way back to God, God wants us to tell other people. This is not a big church secret. And I know sometimes people get really frustrated because a lot of churches throughout the ages have cloaked this gospel of Jesus Christ in all of these big churchy words that don't mean anything to people who don't know God. But we use them to try to persuade people to come to God. That's not what we're called to do. What we're called to in Psalm 66, 16 is to come and hear all who fear God, and I will tell what he has done for my soul. That's what we're supposed to do. That's the story we're supposed to tell. What did God do for you? What did God do for me? That's what testimony is. That's what being a witness is. And this morning, we're going to hear from several people in our congregation who want you to hear what God has done for their souls. And I don't think anybody is going to be singing about it. It's not a song. It's not a psalm. They're just going to tell you. Although, I do think maybe one couple might start breaking into song. I'm not sure. <laughs> but they're going to share our testimonies, or their testimonies with us. And as they speak... Listen, see if you can recognize yourself in some of their story. Because one of the most impactful things that we can tell another person is that they are not alone. You are not the first person to have experienced this. You're not the first person that has done this sin. God's not surprised. You are not alone. I was where you once were. It's one of the most powerful things that we can tell people 
when we're talking about Jesus Christ. Your past is not unique. I was there too. Let me tell you what Jesus did to pull me out from there. So listen to these stories as these folks talk and see if you can find yourself in them. And first, we're going to hear from um, a, a very young couple who came to Morning Hour Chapel by way of Mechanicsburg uh, Brethren in Christ Church. Uh, so I'd like to welcome uh, the young couple, uh, Steve and Cindy Wenger, who are going to share their testimony this morning. Steve and Cindy, come on up. partially right. <laughs> I think I am an expert <laughs> on witnessing that. And second of all, I am the gentleman that stands behind her. <laughs> all right, how are you okay, gonna... I'm going to start by saying I was brought up in a Methodist church. I married into the BIC. Um, thank goodness. They were both church-going families. But I always had just a little bit of a tinge of um, being unsure if I got to heaven, was I going to be able to see the people that I loved, uh, my family members? And it was, I don't remember the year, but believe it or not, it was in a Goodwill store, and you know how many thousands of books they have. And God directed me to this book, it was called 90 Minutes in Heaven. And it is a wonderful book, and it eased my mind as to going to heaven. Now, with that being said, um, I want to start with my first deal, which I wasn't planning on talking about, but I was encouraged to maybe share. Um, I drive this road many, many times. Our daughter just bought ground over here, and we travel back and forth. And I always go past a church, but yesterday I noticed on the mailbox 490. I never saw it before. I knew our church was on Germany Road, but I never saw the 490 before. So I'm at a store, and I was purchasing things for the auction. And <clears throat> I mentioned to the clerk, just talking, that I was having, you know, we were having a spaghetti supper and basket auction, and I was buying these purchases for that. And she said, oh, that's really nice. And she said, what church do you go to? And I said, I go to Morning Hour Chapel. That's on Germany Road. She said, okay. She said, well, she says, I had a lady in here, and she had some tattoos and maybe a little questionable looking for not a church-going person. And she said, I had a lady in here, and she would not acknowledge me, and she would not take the change from my hand. And she just looked at me like, ugh. I looked out the window, and she had something about Jesus written on her car. And I said to her, I'm sorry about that. I said, but all churches are not like that. I said, churches are not to judge. I said come to our church. I said, we welcome everybody. 
And then I did say, and our pastor has tattoos on his arm. <laughs> so <clears throat> where the 490 comes in, she pulled out of the back pocket um, of a, another card and another address of a church that was given to her. And I said, well, let me do the same for you too. And that's where the 490 comes in because I knew our church was on Germany Road, but I never knew the address. So I wrote down the address and I said, please come. So I will definitely go back to this store and just chat with her in the future and just, you know, keep, keep track. Reaffirm. So now the first testimony I have is um, we had a Class C motorhome and we had a horse trailer on behind with no brakes and we had just filled up with propane and we were coming down Starrett's Gap, which is a mountain, and at the top of the mountain, the throttle stuck. So we were on our way down and didn't know what to do. I had my three kids were in, and the one, my oldest daughter, um, I had to slap her face <laughs> to get her attention because he told me, he says, when this finally does stop, get these kids out right away. We made it down to the end of the mountain. But the, the left front wheel was, was already on fire as we were coming down the mountain. So you ask, why is that a testimony? The testimony is this. We tried coming down the same mountain in a vehicle, a car, and there was no way we could manage the speed we were going uh -huh. in, in that motorhome. The speed that we were going was, we just, we just couldn't do it. So you knew that God had his hand on that motorhome and he directed us down that hill. Uh -huh. he did. My second testimony is um, I had a back operation years ago. And to begin with, on the way um, to the operation, leaving the farm, we lived on Williams Grove Road, and Stevie's dad was a prayer warrior. He was wonderful. <laughs> and um, I looked at Steve and I said, your dad just prayed for me. I said, I can feel it. And uh, we got to the hospital, got through the operation. It took a little bit longer than what was expected, but everything worked out. Got to the room that night, and Steve decided to stay with me that night. Um, everything was fine up until around 12.30. And uh, I started making noises, I guess he said. She was laying there and she was making these noises and I felt that she was struggling and snoring and everything. And I was sitting right beside her and I reached out and I touched her shoulder. And if you know Cindy, anything, she responds immediately, but she was lifeless. So he ran out to the nurse's desk and she wheeled around and she came into the room 
and he said I was blue. Well, they and they, they said they they it was a code blue. They, they, called, they called for, for code the, blue. Yes, they had the alarm, everything, security, doctors, life machines. Uh, I did not see a light, but I said everything was very peaceful. I was dreaming of my children and my horses, and. Um, I woke up to Mrs. Wenger, wake up, Mrs. Wenger, wake up, and I did. In, in the meantime, I'm in the room with her, and of course I was doing the manly thing. I was emotional and crying, and they said, get him out of the room now, get him out of the room. So they got me out of the room, took me a couple doors down to the nurse's station, and they had a lady staying there with me. And I was praying out loud, God, don't let her die, don't let her die. Take me, take me, don't let her die. And the lady said, you have to excuse me, I get emotional on this one. The lady said, uh, Mr. Wenger, you gotta pray louder, you gotta pray harder, you gotta pray harder. She just kept saying, you gotta pray harder, you gotta pray harder. And I kept saying, Lord, please don't let her die. Very shortly, there was a minister from John Hopkins standing at my shoulder, and he was just standing there, and another doctor came in the room and said, how is he taking it? And I knew at that moment she died. <laughs> so at that moment, I heard somebody say, She's alive, she's alive, get him in the room, get him in the room. So they got me in the room and I still couldn't quite understand, but I was there with her. And they had everybody in the room still working on her and she was alive. And I walked over to her and she thought, because I do get very emotional at times, that it was one of those moments that I was just getting emotional. She did not understand what had happened to her. She did not know. So there again, of course, I did the manly thing. I turned my back, I walked away and I was crying and the doctor came over and said, Steve, you've got to get a hold of yourself. She doesn't know. She doesn't know. So when I walked back over to her to console her, she looked at me and she said, and what's the matter with you? <laughs> at that moment, I didn't know whether to hug her or her cry. <laughs> so the next, thing, the next thing I know, they had her stabilized and told me, do not let her go into a deep sleep. So she's wanting, they cleaned out the room and she's wanting to go into a deep sleep and I'm standing beside her going Of course, she lost her religion. And at that moment, she was getting better. So the next morning, then they said the next morning they came in and her blood pressure was still only 50 over 30. 50 over 30, they couldn't get her blood pressure up at 50 over 30 the next morning and they were gonna do a transfusion and stuff on her, which they explained everything to me before they did. And the doctors had a round table meeting and they wanted to discuss how they were gonna treat her because the moral of the story was they overdosed her on morphine. When 
they brought her, she was in the operating room four hours longer than she was supposed to be. When they brought her to the room at night, she was supposed to be in at four, we got in at eight o'clock. She had a private nurse, private deal at John Hopkins, room, the whole deal, and she was supposed to be monitored constantly, and they didn't put any monitors or anything on her. Charlene said, Mrs. Wenger, you gotta give yourself more morphine. You, Cause she had, was on a pump or something. Mm -hmm. Of course, I don't know, she did it. And like I said, the moral of the story was they OD'd her on morphine. So then the doctors became concerned. So the next morning at 5.30 when they walked in the room, they stopped right where I was sitting and they addressed me. They said, we are sorry for the traumatic experience you've had in our hospital last night. However, it is refreshing to have somebody as sensitive to narcotics <laughs> as your wife. Okay, they said, the other situation is, we don't know what to treat her with. So I think they decided to use Tylenol. <laughs> now, when I, and this was a major, major, major surgery that she had. So, make a long story short, six days later, I finally got her out of the hospital. And here we are. And we're here. And that's it. And there's two things that I need. Jesus and Cindy. <laughs> and I told her, I said, when I was praying to God to take me instead of you, he left me stay, he healed you, but he said to me later, he said, Stevie, he said, she's a little high maintenance, you need to keep her around a little longer. <laughs> he said, I'm not quite ready for her yet. <laughs> but I do believe in Jesus. I was born in a, 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 into a Christian family and he is real. If you pray and sometimes do less talking, which I do a lot, and listen to what he tells you, life is a lot better and a lot easier. You will get along a lot better in life if you just pray and ask him for the support and the guidance that you need. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you guys for that. Uh, man, I, I, I don't know what I would do if something like that happened to Wendy, but I know I would pray. Um, all right. Um, next, we're going to hear from a woman who is not here. Um, uh, some of you uh, know uh, Carol Lothian, uh, and she had attended here for a long time. She's not... Uh, able to get out uh, like she used to, but she does watch our live stream uh, every Sunday. Good morning, Carol. Um, but um, she's been kind of following along with us. She got CDs when the CDs were the thing, and then she started watching the videos. So um, we're really happy to have her uh, give her testimony uh, through her deacon, uh, Linda Guys. Linda Guys is going to come up and uh, tell Carol's story for her. Well, I'm here today for Carol, and she has had numerous, um, numerous health issues in the past year, as all her adult life, and she keeps on worshiping with us every Sunday morning. It's probably been about three years since she's been here, 
but she, um, she's been, since we've had live streaming, she watches every Sunday. She takes communion with us once a month at home, and uh, she just loves this, this church. For those that don't know her, she's a friendly person, an honest person, a caring lady, and she's had a hard life. And um, it hasn't been easy at all. Her grandmother raised her uh, as she, when she was growing up and took her to church at an early age. And when she was 13, they had an altar call to service. And the hymn that they were singing was Just As I Am. And she listened to those words, and she found real meaning in each verse and walked forward to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior of her, of her life. She was obedient. She listened to those words, and she knew she had to go forward. And these were, I think there's seven verses to that song, but I want to go, I want to go like the first two or whatever and uh, just give you the words. Just as I am without one plea, but that my blood was shed for me, and that thou biddest me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot, to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am, tossed about with many a conflict, many a doubt, fightings and fears within, without, O Lamb of God, I come. Now that's, this hymn was written by Charlotte Elliott, and it talks about how to find salvation through Christ. It's been used for many altar calls, um, in services, and it brings quite a simple message of sin, forgiveness, and salvation to turn, and all that turns from sin and your trust in Jesus. Now, Carol was baptized at a Brethren Church in Gettysburg uh, after she uh, went forward, and she found morning hour chat, oops, later in her adult life, she came to Morning Hour Chapel with her Uncle Wib and her Aunt Esther Hooper. And I know there's some here that know her, know them. And uh, she found Morning Hour Chapel very friendly and welcoming. And uh, Carol told me that Renee Anderson uh, saw her coming, came in the door, gave her a hug, and she said at that moment, she knew this is where she had to be. She was supposed to be here. And she had come ever since then. A few years ago, her husband Paul passed, but her faith is strong, and she knows that she will see him again. Um, she has been a wonderful friend, a supporter of our church, and she loves the Lord with all her heart. And she wishes she could be here. Hi, Carol. But uh, she isn't today. She's with us and at home. Thank you. Thank you, Linda, and thank you, Carol, for uh, giving us your testimony this morning. Um, for our next testimonies, we're going to do something a little bit different. Um, instead of uh, these folks getting up and just uh, talking, 
Uh, we're going to actually uh, do a little bit of kind of an interview. Uh, they felt that that might be a little uh, easier for them to do to prepare their answers. Um, so I'm going to ask some questions and they're going to share their stories through their answers. Uh, so please welcome uh, Angie Thomas and uh, Louis D'Onofrio. Now see, Angie is prepared. She has index cards and everything. And Louis is just as prepared, I know, because he, he just, he likes to talk. Um, but, um, so, uh, just, just a real brief introduction. Who are you? Tell, <laughs> you're Angie and you're Louis. Okay, just wanna make sure. Oh yes. I, Worked all this week to try to get these working and then forgot all about them. Yeah. There you go. I'm Angela Thomas. I was born in Hanover. Um, I'm from Hanover originally. Um, I was moved around a lot. Um, so I was never really in one place for a long period of time. Um, but um, I'm a mother. I was a single mother for a long time, and I have an 18-year-old son and a daughter that's going to be turning five here soon in April. I'm Louis D'Onofrio. Um, my wife, Kathy, was supposed to be up here with me, but she had to teach downstairs. Um, I'm originally from Brattleboro, Vermont, and God moved me down here to Pennsylvania, away from my family, away from her family. Um, here we are. All right, thank you guys for being here. Um, as, as, as much as you can, describe your first introduction to, to God or to church. How old were you, where were you, and what was happening uh, in that place when you first started going to church? Louie, I'm gonna let you uh, take the first answer. Well, I was born into a Roman church, um, the Catholic church, and um, was in church all my life. And, uh, was an altar boy, boy scout leader, all that stuff in the, in the Catholic Church. Um, on our, when we moved down here from um, Massachusetts, um, we moved to Newburytown. And in Newburytown, where we happened to locate, there was a family of holy rollers who lived up on the hill. <laughs> and that was a term back then, <laughs> still today. But, but these two people could clear an entire neighborhood. If people were outside, they scattered <laughs> just to make sure they didn't come in contact with these two people. Um, by the way, these people only knew the Lord for a year, but they were on fire for the Lord. Um, so one day, I got caught by surprise. Um, they were standing behind me, turning around and working in the garden, standing behind me were these two people. <clears throat> so there was no escape. <laughs> and they asked us, you know, Kathy was there with me, and they asked us if, if we would want to go to church. And, um, you know, just 
visit at their church? And of course we said no. <laughs> but um, after a while of talking with them, and they have little children just like we did, and um, he said, okay, we'll come tomorrow, we'll come to church. So we went to church, um, they invited us, it was my 30th birthday, they invited us up for cake and ice cream um, in the afternoon. And I knew he was gonna dazzle me with all his Bible knowledge that he had, <laughs> one year worth of Bible knowledge that he had. Um, so we accepted the offer and we went up and uh, Harry, I'm gonna give his name, was Harry and his wife was Kathy. We went to church, to Sunday school, then we went to, after Sunday school, there was a, the service. And then after that, we're gonna go for dinner, so I was gonna dazzle Harry with my catechism knowledge that I had. <laughs> um, so we had our dinner, and I couldn't believe this guy. He, he, He had such strong faith in what he was telling us. And I thought, where's he get this? What's happening here? You know? And so he said, you know, after a whole afternoon of, of discussing the Bible and everything that was in it, it all made sense to me and it all, like it, a light bulb came on. And he says, you know, we're gonna go back to church tonight. I said, you're kidding, we spent the whole morning there. <laughs> We're gonna go back tonight. And we did, and Pastor Santos from Bible Baptist gave a salvation message that night. I said, I want this. This is what I want. I had no interest in God at that point in time. I, it was just, a, you know, in a Catholic church, it's a ranking of sort of, you know, what you did. Uh, how you worked for something, and you know, that, that's basically what it was. Um, and these people, I found out that next, after that evening service, that there were five families <laughs> spent the whole day in prayer for Kathy and I that never met us. Just unbelievable. So I said, I'm never going back to that church again, or Catholic church again. You know, I, I, this is something I want. And of course, Kathy thought I was nuts. <clears throat> but she called the pastor the next day. and said, you know, what, what's happening here? And Pastor Santos, it's been a couple hours on the phone with her, I guess. And, but in the day, she, she wanted it to. So we both got saved within a week, that week, and came to know Christ. And I had no idea what they were even talking about. You know, the buzzwords you were talking about earlier today? Well, they used all the buzzwords on them. Some people did, not all people. Harry didn't. He talked to me like, you know, like my best friend for life. I mean, and which we are now to this day. Um, but he, um, he, Pastor Santos had talked to Kathy and she just accepted the Lord and, you know, and even, even when I, I went up front, walked down on a salvation message the following Sunday, and you know, people came and prayed with me and talked to me and said, you know, you want to accept salvation? And 
I don't even know what that means. I don't even know what it means. You know, and it all had to be explained to me and everything. And, and that's how we came to know the Lord. <laughs> and it, and the, like I said, it was on my 30th birthday. I was born again on my 30th birthday. Wow. Running away from the weird neighbors. <laughs> all right. Basically it. Yeah. Um, Angie, tell us what your life was like before you met God, and, and how did he change your life? Um, well, my life before God um, felt um, like, a, like a prison, really. Um, I felt like I was just, I guess the words I want to say, I felt like I couldn't get out of a vicious cycle that kept going and going and going in my life. And I was determined to break that cycle. Um, I wasn't sure how. Um, but eventually, with the love of people and God keep pushing and pushing and putting people in my life and putting people that um, showed me the love of Christ and showed me that there is people that actually care what happens to you. Um, life started getting better. Gradually, I struggled with my faith, of course, for a long time um, because my life wasn't exactly easy. My father was never there. I didn't know who he was until I was 12. My mother, she was there, but she wasn't. Um, I really didn't have any kind of support system whatsoever growing up. And I ended up growing up pretty fast at a young age taking care of my sister because my mom was always working or busy with her own things. Of course, my mom had me when she was very young, so you can imagine how. <laughs> that was, um, she wasn't ready, but she still kept us, which I bless, I'm proud of her for, and I'm thankful she did. Um, my father, on the other hand, um, he pretty much denied me, denied that I was ever his, and, um, and he pretty much just disowned me because he didn't like what I had to say about my feelings about everything that has happened in the past. So um, I haven't spoke to him since. Um, growing up, I was in bad relationships. My mother was married four times. Um, my stepfather sexually assaulted me. And I was sexually abused before that when I was five. Um, I just, all the way around, I didn't, I felt so lost. I even tried taking my own life because I didn't feel like I could go on. I felt so lonely, unloved, unwanted, and I felt like I had to be perfect in order to be loved all my life. And I always, all my life fought for perfection because I thought that's what I needed it to do. And then um, 
How did that change when you found faith in Christ? My eyes opened to the truth. And when people, God started putting people in my life, it made me realize how much I am actually loved and cared for. And God's very consistent, let me tell you. He, I kept turning my back and kept trying to walk away, but every time he would put somebody there to pull me back in. And he, he never gave up on me. And I'm glad he hasn't. Because ever since, my life has been better. It's not perfect, <laughs> but it's better and I'm content with my life and I'm so much happier, so much happier. Thank you. Louie, I know you've, you've been a Christian for a couple of years now, 30, right? Um, yeah, only 30. Yeah. <laughs> Can you think of a time since you came to faith that, that you had some trouble either believing in God or trusting God? What was that like and, and how did God bring you through that? Well, over the last 45 years, <laughs> um, there, there are a lot of times when, especially when I first came to know the Lord, you, you know, you're like walking on a eggshells. You don't know when it's going to fall in. And it just never happened. You know, God, God brought us down here to meet him. I believe this to be true. He brought us down away from our other family. I mean, it was a time my dad wouldn't let me come in the house with my Bible because he wanted no part of that holy roller stuff. And, you know, he moved us away from our families for, for the, you know, to start our own little Christian family. Um, it's just his leading through my whole life, our Kathy and I, our Christian life, uh, and the trust that we have in him. And it hasn't failed us yet, and I don't think it ever will. You know, he says he's there for you, even the hard times, we've, and we've had a lot of hard times. Matter of fact, when we get saved, we were at the end of our rope. We were done. Um, so, you know, he's he's turned our life around. You have you no longer, you know, you're still a sinner, but you no longer have that desire to partake in that. We when we got saved, we lost all our friends, we lost our family, we lost everything, you know. And you're walking alone by faith. You're just, but you had a whole new family, all the Christian people prayed for you every day. It's just amazing. Thank you. I don't know if that answered your question. <laughs> I think it answered his question. Yeah. <laughs> um, Angie, what, is there a scripture that speaks to you uh, today, speaks to your testimony? Um, yes. Um, Isaiah 41. 913, this is not the actual scripture, but it's the, it's the meaning of the scripture. And I thought I'd read it to you. I have chosen you, 
handpicked you to be my dearly loved child. I'm not going to turn away from you or let go of you. There is no need to be afraid or discouraged because I am your God, Savior, friend. I will be your strength physically, emotionally, and spiritually. You can always count on me. My help is immediately available 24-7, even when you don't ask or notice. Be assured I'm helping. I don't, and, I, and don't let people, thoughts, or the devil, anyone or anything, drag you down, get in your way, or break you. I've got you. My grip on you is gentle but firm and constant. In fact, I'm going to hold your hand to remind you of my promises and presence. I'm going to remind you who I am and who you are, my beloved child. Thank you for that. Um, if you were going to tell somebody, Angie, in, in 60 seconds or less, why, why you're a Christian, why you believe that God is for you, what would you tell them? Well, with God, everything's possible. Um, your life gets better. But, I mean, you, I'm not going to say that you don't struggle. You'll still struggle. But life does get better, and you learn how he helps you to deal with those struggles. And he teaches you how to um, be patient and to um, listen to him. And I feel that the more we listen, um, the easier it is to get through the day, and the easier healing comes. And I just, God is always with you. You're never alone. You don't need to be afraid of being alone. And you don't need to be perfect for him to love you. And he's just there. His love is so amazing. If you just allow him to move in your life, he'll do it. Because he has mine plenty and he has provided for me in so many ways and brought people in my life just to keep a hold of me so just his love alone is amazing and it's very refreshing to know that um, you're loved for who you are thank you uh, Louis same question if you're gonna tell somebody in 60 seconds why you have hope in Christ, what would you tell them? Well, for one thing, it changes your life. It changes your perspective in life. It changes, you know, you're on the downward spiral. Um, you're still on a downward spiral, but, but you, you now have hope. You know, you know, we're all sinners and come short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. We're all gonna die, we're all gonna you know, there's no way out, nobody gets out alive. Um, but you have the hope that God is with you and that you're gonna someday see God in eternity. And just having the desire not to sin, you'll sin, but not to sin, and the desire to do what's right, to think of somebody else, think of others besides yourself, is just, it's just amazing, it's just a, you know, Having experienced that as an adult, that big change, that big shift in life, um, there's nothing else. I mean, to me, that's, that's the whole, um, John 3.16 sums up the whole gospel. 
shot. God so loved the world, he gave him his only begotten son, who believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Angie, Louie, thank you very much for coming up and being willing to share your testimony and share with us this morning. Let's give them a hand. This is not a one-time thing. Um, I love to hear these stories because some of, sometimes, uh, sometimes these stories I, have, I can't relate to at all. And sometimes the stories like they're, they're talking about my own. And I, I just love to, to hear the stories of how God has worked in people's lives, how he continues to work in people's lives. And I want to invite you, if you, if, if you are willing to share your story, if you're willing to share your testimony, uh, or at least just a part of it uh, with us, uh, we would love to have you. You can call me, you can text me, you can email me, you can uh, push me up against the wall outside as we're you know, getting ready to go out. Whatever you need to do to get my attention, we would love to, uh, to hear your stories as well. Um, one, of the, one of the hardest things about giving our testimony is actually talking to people. And I know that there are some people in this room, some people who are watching, that don't like uh, talking to people. Uh, if they can do it over a text, they'd rather do that than a phone call. If they could do it um, on, on Facebook, they'd rather do it than, than texting. Um, but I want to encourage you, communicate with your friends, your family. Um, just got a call this morning that uh, my brother uh, passed away. Uh, we don't know what happened. Uh, he was found unresponsive this morning. Uh, somebody tried to get a hold of him. He was supposed to be at work, and they went over and found him. Um, and I never got to tell him enough about the things that, that God has done for me, and that makes me sad. Uh, and I want to encourage you. If you have brothers, if you have sisters, if you have husbands, wives, nieces, nephews, friends, enemies, Tell them what God is doing in your life. They might not like it. They might just blow you off. But it's okay because they, they're hearing about Jesus Christ from someone who's living a life with Jesus Christ. So I encourage you to continue telling your stories. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for these souls who have spoken about you, who have spoken of your love and your provision and your rescue and your grace. Father, we thank you for all that you have done for us. We thank you for persistent and annoying neighbors, and we thank you for uh, just friends who embrace us even though we don't really know them yet. Uh, we thank you for uh, giving us this church where we can come and know you and know uh, the stories of the people who are here and hear the things that you are doing uh, every day. Father, we ask that you would give us the, the, the strength, that you would give us the courage, uh, and that you would give us the ability to just speak of you often, to share you, to share what Christ has done for all of humanity and what Christ has done for us 
as a human being. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. After Jesus cast out a whole bunch of demons from a man who lived in Gerasenes, uh, the man begged for Jesus to let him go with him, to be with him. And Jesus said, no, I have a much more important job for you. Jesus said, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. That's what I want to invite you to do. Return to your home, return to your neighborhood, to your place of work, to your school, and tell people the things that Jesus has done. Tell them the things that Jesus has done for you and the things that Jesus has done for them, that he has lived, that he has died, and that he has risen again. God bless you this week.